0: listener production.
1: This is From Zero, where I get the real stories behind some of Australia's best business successes. I'm Adam Schwab, co-founder of LuxuryEscapes.com, financial journalist, author, and angel investor. With my best mate from school, we co-founded Luxury Escapes, and the business has grown to turn over almost half a billion dollars annually without raising a dollar of outside capital. People ask me all the time, how do we start the business? And now I want to turn the tables. In this episode, I speak with Nikki Scarbeck from Blackbird and Startmate.
0: Wealth is exciting in that it can unlock all of those um, opportunities for, for people of the, of the future and it's all of those chances that can be taken um, on people in the future, that's exciting um, to me, but I don't think um, wealth at a, uh, just in isolation is is particularly interesting.
1: Nikki Skivek is one of Australia's most prolific angel investors and venture capitalists. And he's been building businesses since he was just a kid. Nikki's mum worked in a university and his dad was a high school teacher. So he wasn't surrounded by lots of business talk growing up, but he was naturally entrepreneurial. And as a kid, he just loved computers and basketball. And Nicky combined his passion for both to build his very first business. It was a 1990s version of an NBA data subscription service. Back then, if you were in Australia and you wanted to find out the results of the NBA, that is the National Basketball Association in the US, you'd have to read about it from a couple of lines in the newspaper. But Nicky had something that no one else did. His secret weapon? The internet. And with that, he'd print out the NBA box scores from the ESPN website every day And he charged his friends a really small amount for the data. It was like a really early stage version of Bloomberg. Nicky only had a handful of subscribers, but it gave him a taste of what he wanted for his future. He followed his passion for computers into university, where he studied for a degree that would end up changing the course of his life.
0: i um i definitely love computers that that was the the guiding light and then the second guiding light was to get paid to go to university um and uh <laughs> i am I'm, I'm very competitive uh and so I applied to a bunch of courses and it was basically if someone was gonna pay me to go to university so uh there's an asterisk to that i'll i'll, I'll mention um I'll, yeah. I'll I'll sort of um direct my application there and then so the the course is actually business information technology which is sort of half computer science and, and half commerce. Um, it's pretty competitive to get in. And, uh, I got into the university of New South Wales. I did not get into the, uh, there was another sister course at the UTS, uh, which is the university of technology Sydney. And so I just said yes to the, to, to the UNSW one and, and quite fortuitously, um, that cohort of, um, people that also did the course were some of the best people I met in life. That's where I met Mike and Scott and particularly, um, Mike and I became really good mates and, and roommates and we ended up starting a, uh, a business together and the laughable thing is that the course had nothing to do with entrepreneurship but I would say of the <laughs> of the 40 people that did it um, half sort of went on to do something entrepreneurial or even something investment related uh, so you know, it was just a awesome lucky uh, group of people that I that I got to meet
1: so, so you always had like a Speaking of basketball analogies, like the the nineteen ninety two Dream Team sounded like they were in that course. So, so Mike and Scott, I think, and I think did Rick maybe do it a few years before <laughs> you potentially as well? Who who would become your obviously your partner?
0: Rick did commerce law, I think, or he did law okay. uh, at the University of Sydney. I don't think uh, that there's definitely other people even around um, yeah. that uh, sort of same course but different years. Um, Brad Lindenberg, who ended up founding Quipay yeah. that sold ZipMoney. Um, and there's a whole whole bunch of other um, entrepreneurial people. I think it's if you give uh, a competition of if you get hundreds of people apply for a few places uh, and um, some form of uh, payment, then, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you attract entrepreneurial people versus um, the, the, the course itself, as I said, was not entrepreneurial at all.
1: Was there any, was there a great lecturer there or was it, was it just a pure coincidence? There were so many amazing it graduates who who came out of that course.
0: Yeah, I, I, again, I, I wouldn't um, say it was any of the content. The content was like how to design like, you know, an information system at a large company that, you know, uh, was the most um, sort of boring, probably even non-technology was all about like, you know, manage change and and, and things like that. So I, I, it's a, it was very much just um, the course I think was a beacon. Um, you got, uh, you know, the, the asterisks, as I said, was you got paid $200 a week, but you had to do these uh, three sort of six-month, placements with the sponsoring companies, which were like PwC and Macquarie Bank and, and and those sorts of companies. And, you know, most of the sponsors, you were just sort of on the, the IT help desk. So you actually yeah. were getting paid like $5 an hour uh, during the, <laughs> the, 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 the sponsored um, uh, placements um, and not doing very interesting work. There were a few people that uh, were forward thinking and gave people a chance. I remember Comtech, um, David Shane, who's now the founder mm-hmm. of um, our innovation fund, um, and he was the founder of Comtech, he certainly took a chance on a lot of the younger kids uh, in the course and gave them responsibilities uh, right from that, you know, six-month placement. So that, you know, uh, the the sort of pecking order within the course was to get a placement with um, Comtech. And then eventually, um, you know, Atlassian, I think, uh, firstly with BIT, but then with, say, software engineering, um, the co-op scholarship equivalent in software engineering, um, they were hiring Probably like eighty percent of their hmm. uh, initial employees through the course, uh, so it yeah. was definitely a good talent beacon. Um, but that, as again, there was nothing to suggest that the content or the lecturers uh, were, you know, entrepreneurial training grounds.
1: Working at places like PwC and Macquarie Bank during his early uni years gave Nicky an insight into the corporate world, and he realised pretty quickly it wasn't for him. He wanted to be the one creating technology, not just using it. It was 1999, and the dot-com bubble was in full swing, and Nicky was frustrated to be stuck at uni, not creating the kind of technology he was reading about in magazines. So at the end of his first year of uni, he started his first real business with a guy called Mike Cannon-Brooks, his university roommate. These days, we take it for granted that our Chrome or Firefox accounts will sync all our data across our different devices. But that technology didn't exist in 1999, so Nicky and Mike just created it. And they called it the bookmark box.
0: Back then, people did use different computers. Like you had your work laptop and your home computer, and um, the computer used it at at work. And um, bookmarks uh, were not synced across, and and bookmarks Mm -hmm. played a, a much bigger role. Sort of, this was as Google was was taking off, and so the idea of a an application that synced your bookmarks across yeah. all of those devices, and then um, we also took it in a direct, started to take it in a direction of uh, back then also pre Google uh, dominating was um, web spam was a real problem. People were sort of uh, you know if you put online casino in in the heading of a page, you ranked first in the the search engine, so that all of the yeah. the results were sort of spam filled, and we were using the idea of a bookmark being a signal. From a human, that that page mm-hmm. um, uh, was relevant to whatever topic they were tagging uh, the bookmark with, and sort of created a almost like a community-driven search engine where the, the bookmark would be a signal that the, the the page and the domain would be of um, higher quality than than an unbook unbookmarked. Um, page. And we, I think we founded it in late 1998. We raised like $30,000 from my uncle and Mike's dad and and another person. We launched, we had, I think, sort of tens of thousands of users and grew that very quickly wow. to like 80,000 users. And we had millions of bookmarks. It was, it was um, uh, something that people took to and used passionately. Uh, then we started to sign some initial sort of online ad deals, like where I think it was like HSBC online sponsored the the finance category. And, um, but it, all, of that, all of that is to say that just doing that and in the year and a bit that we did it, uh, that was like the university degree of knowledge. And that was the showcase of like, it was drinking from the fire hose of, of um, uh, this kind of startup technology world where, you know, for the both of us, it was very clear that this is what we wanted to do. Uh, you know, with the rest of our lives. And so uh, we ended up selling the company to a similar company in New York. Actually, the, the, there were three other online bookmark manager softwares that got venture funded in the US. Uh, one was actually by Elon Musk's brother. Uh, and then one was uh, Blink.com, which is a New York based company. And then the founders of Blink.com um, Blink.com, ended up failing, but um, the founders of that company ended up being sort of very senior members of DoubleClick uh, and then mm. building out Google's ad infrastructure. So it was, yeah. it was just an amazing um, uh, set of people that you know, we got to meet uh, along the journey as well. And um, I, I would say the Bookmark box was my university degree. We, had, uh, we didn't drop out. We went back to part-time. We ended up finishing the, the university degree just to, um, to show that we could complete something. Um, yeah. But I, I would say the university degree came through the, the, the journey of the Bookmark box.
1: You both obviously, both you and Mike, have become pretty famous since. But what did you sell the business for? Was it, was it ever made public, or did you get a, a good sort of?
0: No, I think it was a positive result, but it wasn't that yeah. much more positive. Um, so uh, <laughs> again, this this was in um, this was two eighteen or nineteen year old kids. Uh, yeah. and it was a positive result, and I know we made money, but uh, you know it was not it was not a Lassian sized success. So if you were to choose. Um, to found
1: the bookmark box or to found a Atlassian, you, you, you definitely would have chosen the last in. <laughs> I, that's, that's, I mean, that's true for, for every Australian business, almost ever. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, what you guys actually were doing probably wasn't really that different to, to what, what Larry and Sergio were doing at Google, in a sense. Obviously, they were a bit more uh, programmatic about it, but PageRank essentially is about what other sites valued. Sites at so hence they, they, their mm-hmm. original model was sort of link based. So in a sense, by by using bookmarks, you were doing it. In fact, a really similar thing to to what Google were doing, and obviously they've executed very well since. But the core of your business actually is, sounds like it was exactly right. Uh, and mm. maybe
0: and there was another there's another company um, that came uh, a bit later on that did a really good job of executing on the idea um, called Delicious. Um, if you remember that uh, Yahoo ended up acquiring yeah. it, um, sort of you know about ten years later. They they did a really good job, I think, of progressing the idea. Um, But yeah, we were we were in that mind space of, um, and then particularly, you know, as pre pre sort of Google's Google was around, but Google wasn't universally successful like they um, are now. You know, there there was really a wild west of of search and lots of web spam, and you know, the, the results were usually fairly crappy for most topics.
1: So you finished your course. I think you and Mike started another business. Uh, I think this was Jupiter. Was that straight? Yes. Almost straight after, or was it? What What was What was that business?
0: So um, to sell the business, uh, Mike uh, went to New York. Um, His mum and dad were actually living in. Not New York, but Connecticut. Um, so you know, he went to New York. I think he caught the train in. He had like a suit and tie on uh, to negotiate <laughs> the the deal. Um, and in a, one of his meetings um, in New York, he also met um, a guy called Alan Meckler. Alan was the founder of Internet World and uh, trade shows. This was back uh, again early nineties, and he had just started a new company and. Uh, It was a sort of suite of media products like newsletters and breakfast events and uh, conferences around technology and and business. And um, also uh, had acquired Jupiter Research, was was soon to acquire uh, Jupiter Research, which was quite a famous um, research advisory firm, again, back in the original dot-com wave of companies. And um, he said he was starting an Australian office and we should meet a guy called... Michael Walsh. Uh, and, um, and so, uh, when Mike got back to Sydney, you know, we both, uh, met Mike and, uh, Mike Walsh and, um, ended up hitting it off. And the three of us, uh, started firstly internet.com and then what became Jupiter, uh, you know, very quickly thereafter, Alan took the, the, the company public, uh, I think it went from like $10 to a hundred dollars in six <laughs> months. And then, um, I think 18 months later, it was down to like 48 cents. Um, so, uh, you know, to, to give you the sense of the, the type of market, um, uh, it was, uh, back then, but again, that was another awesome experience. Learned so much, um, through Mike Walsh. Yeah. We were sort of authoring research and publishing newsletters and running events. And, and that, I think from a learning point of view, gave someone again, like, uh, I was still 20 years old, I think at the time, mm-hmm. um, the permission to talk to all of these uh, uh, sort of CEOs and, um, you know, I remember meeting uh, like Steve Vamos, who's now the CEO of Zero. Yeah. He was the CEO of 9MSN uh, back at the time. I remember meeting yeah. all of the uh, sort of folks around car sales and REA and Seek and and yeah. and so on again, as they were starting their their businesses. And so it was just um, this sort of all access pass because to be published in, in, in Jupiter's reports or to uh, feature in our events. That was something that was useful to, to all of those people. So they were more than happy to talk to, you know, a 20 year old about building their own businesses. And again, that period was a huge uh, sort of fire hose of, of knowledge that I was fortunate to, to, to be a part of.
1: So I think you, you guys moved to New York at one point with Jupiter is uh, that's right. And then.
0: Yes, yeah, so I am. Um, so um, we worked with Jupiter, uh, Mike, Mike, sort of became the, the technology director. I was like the e- editor uh, and um, as part of that was able to sort me personally to be, to, to move to New York um, with Jupiter. Mike, uh, he was sort of bubbling around with some ideas. Um, uh, we'd also been participating in a bunch of open source projects and uh, met a bunch of great people. And um, I think Mike, uh, his his true passion is is technology and technology products and and so he had the idea of Atlassian. Atlassian in, in the initial stages was um, like a support uh, sort of IT support for another application server or or think of it like a sort of like a, a mix of application server and and database and was it a Swedish company? The product was really or Swedish or some some Nordic country country and it was like an awesome product, but the people who built the product, didn't want to talk to their customers. And so I think Mike was like, well, if I just, um, I love this product and uh, I can t- talk to the customers for the for these people, then I can build a business. And so he was uh, building the, the initial stages of Atlassian um, about that time. And I moved across to New York. Um, he actually um, uh, moved across shortly after as well. He'd started getting customers in, this is when they first um Built Jira uh, and and building initial stages of Atlassian, and so he moved across as well. We'd lived together in New York um, as well. So you know that was an adventure for you know two people in their their young twenties. Uh, and after moving across with Jupiter, myself, um, I sort of left to found my second startup, Home Thinking, which is an online real estate service that basically sloped in all of the, the sales data um, of a, a particular area and ranked the real estate agents based upon their sales mm-hmm. history. Uh, so you could see that you know in real estate, particularly in, in the US, there's not an 80-20 rule. There's like a 199 yeah. rule where 1% <laughs> of the agents handle 99% of the transactions. And you can see sort of very clearly just from the data that um uh, this person gets the best prices and sells the homes the most quickly, and um, so on and so forth. So it was sort of a data driven way to make a decision as to what real estate agent to use. Uh, so so that was sort of a launching pad. Firstly, you know, moving across to to New York with Jupiter and um, meeting a bunch of people, and then um, left to found um, Home Thinking uh, in two thousand five. I think it is um, uh, right about then.
1: So you were tw- almost twice sort of ahead of the curve. So first. With bookmark box and and then now where, home thinking I guess obviously different business to Compass and Zillow and but but certainly in the in the prop tech real estate tech well before really anyone else got into it. Are you a better sort of strategic thinker than operational thinker? Because you, you seem to constantly be and obviously this this leads into your VC career to we'll talk about in a few minutes. But you seem to be constantly ahead of trends years before everybody else. Um, but for whatever reason these aren't the business that blew up for you. Was that, was that, do you think that's sort of where your your strength is Is sort of picking trends early and pattern recognition rather than maybe running a business?
0: Yeah, I 100% think you're uh, correct. Um, I, I love to think about markets and businesses and um, people, um, but I am not a, uh, a good operator or, you know, execution is not my forte. And so I would say both startups Um were good. Um, but even, um, even I think with ideas like with, with home thinking, that was exactly the time that, um, Trulia and Zillow and it got to meet, you know, Spencer, uh, Raskoff of Zillow yeah. and, um, Pete from Trulia. I would, I would say that, um, where home thinking focused on the most important sort of financial decision, this this leverage point of like that that is where all of the money is uh, sort of the domino starts where someone chooses a real estate agent in the in the US. But the the, the consumer insight is that people want to you know browse homes, they don't want to browse agents. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, you know Zillow and Trulia created sort of kind of this supermarket of everything real estate versus yeah. um, home thinking, you know just focused on this. Um, one decision. And then the other thing I would say I learned from my uh, time as well is um, uh, the power of doing something that you love and that you have true empathy for. And real estate was not something that I love or have true empathy for and speaking to real estate agents. um, And so that was the mistake of home thinking is that I wasn't personally passionate about the specific idea. And, you know, maybe fast forwarding a little bit um, is when I moved back to Australia and I was thinking, should I do another startup? Should I, you know, I was keen to, to to begin angel investing and what was totally different to anything I'd ever done in my career was just this visceral sense of like, I love to spend time with other founders. I love to uh, sort of that, that beginning stage of, of, of a company and, it was like very clear, even just um, when Startmate was beginning in the in, in the in the initial stages and and the angel investing idea. It was like this is what I want to do with my life. This is what I should spend one hundred percent of my time exploring. And so, absolutely, um, I think you're you're spot on. But I will also say that firstly, Startmate and then um, Blackbird, uh, they have both been built with exactly the same sort of love and care of a startup and exactly the same uh, sort of thought around the products and how everything is configured and so on and so forth. Um, so uh, hopefully, um, you know, and eventually, you know, Blackbird has uh, showcased some executional ability, but um, I would say <laughs> much more comfortable in in thinking through the ideas and um, the configuration of, of businesses. And um, the other thing I would say is in business, the, the, the greatest joy is, Seeing uh, someone that you hire succeed, so seeing them go from nobody to somebody. And, and um, again, Black, for those in Blackburn and Startmate, I'm an extreme delegator, uh, an extreme opposite of micromanager. So you know, I, I think uh, that seeing people sort of rise from uh, unknown to known um, is, is, is one of the greatest joys of business as well.
1: Nikki stuck with home thinking for a few years, four hour work, work style for moving back to Australia with his young family to launch his next venture. It will become a startup incubator for Australian business. Nicky was inspired by Y Combinator in the US and thought he might be up to recreate something really similar in Australia. In case you haven't heard of it, Y Combinator is a three-month incubator program for the hottest tech startups based out of San Francisco. Founders will get a really small amount of seed funding to start building that business. they also get a space to work, and most importantly, get mentorship from some of the world's best entrepreneurs. At the end, they get to pitch their idea to some of the world's best investors. With this concept in mind, Nicky had the motivation to help local founders and use his contacts from his time in the US to make it a reality. He'd call it Startmate.
0: When I moved back to Australia, uh, what struck me was like, wow, all these people are just as good or better than um, all of the people that I met in, in the U.S., but they just don't know it. It was almost like, you know, a Galapagos island of um, uh, people who didn't sort of particularly rate themselves um, versus, you know, they, they were they were world-class. And so I think it was, uh, again, more so to think here is just an under-identified or unidentified um, audience of awesome people where no one is paying attention and there is just such a, you know, supply of great people and um, no supply of, great, of of capital at all. Uh, and it was almost like it was a startup opportunity. It was almost like it was um, sort of that audience of people being so unserved that there was a huge opportunity to to, to go and create something for them. Um, and then with YC as this construct, um, so initially it was, you know, maybe, uh, I, I would like to start angel investing. And again, that, um, is a bit of a sort of glamorous term for, uh, mm-hmm. I only had, you know, maybe 25 K in two investments per year, that, that kind of, you know, angel investing yeah. budget. Um, uh, and as I began to do that, it was just very clear that, you know, back then 300 K was a, was a seed round. And if you invested 25 K into a seed round, um, that it like took six months for the other capital to be yeah. raised. And then I'd be sort of like introing the, the company to other people that potentially might um, be able to invest. And it was just um, very clear that it, it was, it was too slow and too inefficient. And, and um, also I only had, you know, two investments per year. So seeing what was happening with YC and and bringing together that community of people uh, doing it all in a batch. So the learning again was um, batched into one uh, cycle and, and learn, uh, you could learn so much more so quickly, and and that was sort of the genesis of of Startmate. Um, there was also um, Techstars. Uh, if you remember, I think they had yep. just done their first batch um, in Boulder, Colorado, around the same time as um, as Startmate as well.
1: Talk about this, the the actual process of, of starting Startmate. So you you presumably need to to get cash in. So get I guess cash from from various other. Angels to in a way create the first startmate fund. I guess was was that a big challenge? Because you said, obviously you had you had lots of connections in the, in the states. What were your what were your connections like in in Australia in terms of being able to raise capital to to fund the funding, so to speak?
0: Yeah, um, it it was. Um, uh, so I, I'd moved back to Australia, uh, and I would say the the initial. Funding or well, the initial uh, capital for the StartMates first batch was um, 25 coffees. Uh, and th- this was, again, like, you know, another signal of um, something interesting is like nearly 100% conversion from those 25 coffee meetings to a yes to investing. And, and again, I think in the first year, it was like investing $5,000 um, into, into the first batch um, from those people. And it was, again, just this community of founders that had already succeeded. So you had... You know, Atlassian and Campaign Monitor and half studios Studios, Redbubble, AconX, all of these companies that had already succeeded. Um, this was 2010, 2011 time period. Uh, and it was basically to get everyone to kick in a little bit of money to, uh, again, there was this desire to probably less on investing, but more on um, helping the next generation. The The circle of life is what makes Silicon Valley truly magical where someone builds a company and and invests and helps the next generation. And um, that community of people in the beginning of StartMate was all technology founders. So it wasn't, I didn't go to any um, financial investors. um, And uh, it was just 25 founders and a small bit of money to to sort of see um, if we could unearth this group of raw talent. And also I think the other idea back then that you know, it doesn't seem controversial now, but was certainly controversial back then With investing in technical people with no business experience um, and uh, sort of saying that people with the ideas around products, uh, that is the the rare ingredient and the, the valuable ingredient, and then helping them become um, a CEO or helping them you know, with business in inverted commerce um, is the relatively easy thing. Whereas, you know, back then people used to say that they love to invest in repeat founders, um, and, um, you know, gray hair, business experience, MBA, um, that, that, that was the sort of mix of people that investors were, were looking for. And instead young people with no business experience that were technical, um, not very many people were uh, interested in, in, in funding those sorts of people. So that, that was the idea of, um, start made and then also I think the idea of creating a global business from Australia again probably not very interesting now but back then you know that that was the very very small portion of entrepreneurship mainly it was creating businesses uh, that were trying to be the best in Australia rather than the best in the world and sort of adapting US ideas uh, to the to the local market or to the local region and and so for this set of people that were technical, had great product insights. Wanted to create a business that uh, had customers all around the world. That that was really the the community of Startmate in the beginning. And um, even though it was tiny amounts of money, the the nearly every person sort of said yes immediately. I think it was. Hmm. Again, um, it was an idea that, that had been bubbling in their minds, they hadn't done anything about it, or um, they, they, this was just a vehicle for them to like, oh yes, like I'd love to, i like, had been thinking about this um, and I, I'd love to be part of it, kind of feeling to, to all of the conversations.
1: How important off the bat was the mentorship that, that Startmate gave the entrepreneurs? And, and who were the original mentor? Obviously, I presume you you were one, but who else mentored? Know, was Mike a mentor earlier? Who were the other mentors that helped you in the, in the in sort of Startmate 1?
0: Yeah, yeah. Mike, I think, was the, the first person to say yes, um, and Scott um, as well. Uh, then um, folks like uh, Ryan Junie, who's an Australian living in San Francisco at the time, Jeff McQueen, founder of Accelo, Ian Gardner, who was um, a founder of Viacorp uh, at, at the time, uh, was, um, you know, one of the initial people to say yes. Uh, Mick and Phil, who were at Polonizer back then, um, you know, enthusiastically yeah. sort of said yes. Uh, Alan Jones, um, early employee of Yahoo, and was an original sort of um, uh, version of Netflix in, in Australia. Uh, it was a company he founded. Um, so so that, that sort of group of people were, you know, really interested in, 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 in seeing the next generation. And as you said, the, the value I think is in the mentorship because um, when you start a business, you can do kind of anything. Um, and, and so then it, it's really a priority problem of spending your time unwisely. Um, there are so many things that you can do. Um, and the, and the, the sort of puzzle is that, that there are so many things you can do that are positive. So it's not even like um, things that are bad, they're just mildly positive. And then there are just a few things that are super, super positive, which is, you know, talk to customers, build product, and you know, rinse and repeat, and that loop between talking to customers and and and, and building product is, is really the only thing that matters in the beginning. Don't talk to the press, don't bother with partnership conversations and 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 the like. It's just um, focus on talking to customers and 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 building a product. Uh, so I think that that's the value of mentorship is that. Uh, guidance as to how to spend your time in the early part of, of of building a company when it is going from zero to one and and discovering whether you know you are building something that, that customers care about or not.
1: And has been uh, incredible for literally hundreds of, of founders, um, some of which have gone on to become really good businesses. How, from a business perspective, for, for you as as the founder of Startmate, essentially, and, and, your, and your partners, how how? lucrative has, has Startmate been for you guys? Is it, is it been it sort of almost partly philanthropic or have you guys, has Startmate itself been a, a good money spinner for you guys?
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's um, I think even in those, all those initial pitches, people thought about the investment as, oh yeah, like it's just, um, you know, we need the money. So let, let's invest the money. Um, but they, they weren't particularly um, thinking that it was a good investment or, you know, it might be a, a wonderful investment and uh, all of those start mate early funds and early vintages uh, of, of, of the cohorts, you know, it's all still, and the idea was to accrue equity over a very long period of time and um, not to sell. That was also like one of the important values we, we started with at startmate, which was um, if you are going to create something successful, don't sell it. Um, You know, it was very sort of celebrated, uh, back then of like, yes, you exit. Like as soon as you did something um, successful, you should exit. It was almost like this sacrificial chant from like all the people around it, like investors and the media is like, where's your exit? Where's your exit? Um, and the idea of Startmate was to say, no, just um, do your life's work and and, and build something that um, you are going to say no to selling uh, once it's successful. And so uh, from a financial standpoint, Startmate's funds, um, because it is investing so Little capital at you know really you know back in the original valuations I think it was 300k it was 25k on 300k pre money, um now it is I think uh, 120k on one and a half million pre money, but you know small amount of money, um really low valuation, um and you know those there's some start made investments that are more than 100x, um they're sort of carrying value again on paper but not um realised, but you know incredible financial. Uh, returns um, uh, benchmarked against any you know VC fund, and 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 you know that that was always very clear from the beginning as well. Is like this is just a awesome investment, and I would just say you know Startmate is was very much a precursor to Blackbird, and just another I mentioned the sort of uh, joy it was to spend time with founders, and in someone's life you make waves of friends. One you know one wave in high school, one wave in university, and then the waves. Sort of dry up after that, and um, the the initial so cohort of Startmate was another wave of friends for me, and that was like you know one one clue um, that this is what I should be doing with my life full time investing um, in in startups, and and you know again the the traction of the startups uh, that went through the early cohorts of of Startmate, the business success that they were having, um, that was another hint that you know I should do this um, full time. So I think sort of all of those early Startmate years. Uh, gave me the, the the confidence and the again like slapped me in the face with success uh, of um, this is the opportunity of a lifetime to build um, an investment firm um, around um, Australian and then eventually New Zealand founders and uh, a different type of firm that partners with them right from the beginning but um, invests all through their life um, as well.
1: After taking a second cohort of founders through Startmate, Nikki decided it was time to start investing full time. And that idea would become his next business, a venture capital firm called Blackbird. Nikki already had a great record of success with Startmate and lots of great relationships with mentors who he could turn to for support. He wanted to raise a $10 million fund and he asked a guy called Rick Baker for help. Just when Nikki was starting Blackbird, Rick was running the venture portfolio at MLC, but Rick's passion was working with founders. So not long after meeting Nikki, Rick would leave MLC and together, they launched Blackbird in 2012. Blackbird's first cohort of investments would soon become the stuff of legend. It included unicorns like Safety Culture, zooks Culture Amp, and the granddaddy of them all, Australia's most successful ever startup investment, a little business called Canberra. Canva was, um,
0: I think, our first or second investment, so it was a, it was <laughs> a pretty good one to start with. Uh, and they actually, um, uh, you know, it was, it was a real... Um, slogged to raise that first fund and it took us one year to, to do our first close and then took us another year to do the final close. So two years and 522 meetings. Um, but <laughs> in the first close, um, so Canva had, uh, we'd been sort of deeply involved in the, you know, connecting the team to investors in the seed round, but Canva had actually left uh, $250,000 uh, open in the seed round, so they closed their seed round and left it open for a few more months for Blackbird to close their own fund uh, and invest in in the seed round. So the one of the first investments, you know, basically closed did a first close in the fund and then um, invested in Canva, you know, a week later because they had left this um, <laughs> portion of of, of of the seed round open for us, uh, which you know is is one of the best investments um, of all time.
1: What was the valuation on that on that Canva seed?
0: Yeah, it was eight million dollars, um, which for the time was was quite a lot. Uh, I would say yeah. the average was 2 two, two to three million dollars for a seed round pre money back then. Um, and all of our, uh, you know, the investment community. And and the other weird thing was like, you know, again, um, it was. I think it took them more than a year to raise that seed round, and we were, you know, in, introducing them to a bunch of people and um, a bunch of our own LPs. That so we'd sort of say, um, you know, invest in Blackbird. One of the reasons is that you would get this, this um, flow of companies that you can directly invest into. And for instance, if you want, you can invest in um, uh, this company, Canva, going uh, you hmm. know, invest as soon as the fund is closed. Um, and, and people liked Canva, but they didn't like $8 million. And um, they were <laughs> like, oh, you know, does this reflect poorly on your own judgment that you would, um, you know, pay such a high valuation for a company without a product and without revenue? Um, uh, and so... There are a bunch of um, people in that Canva seed round um, and I think it's probably like one of their only investments and it was almost like um, uh, a test for whether they should invest in um, Blackbird as well. But $8 million (laughs) back then was super high but obviously is – you know, a, a fantastic starting point for such a generational company.
1: Six thousand bagger or something. there, I think and, and yeah, I and think. You, you um, go well, go, I
0: think so. for the latest valuation. If you invested a hundred k into that seed round, it's now worth one hundred and seventy million dollars uh, US, <laughs> uh, which is which is incredible.
1: incredible. How much of that of that first fund, especially, and obviously you've done incredibly well since. But that, that first fund, when you guys had only just started, obviously you'd, you'd had start but this is your first VC fund. How much of that was? Skill versus a bit of luck. Like, did you, did you? Um, it was a bit right place, right time, or, or do you think sort of you guys just, just knew what you wanted and, and executed on that?
0: Yeah, I think it was both. Um, you know, uh, the, the the framing of the question is um, is it skill or is it luck? Um, and and you know, it, it's a healthy amount of um, both. But um, as I said, we were we were truly passionate about. The idea of um, these the sort of product DNA businesses that wanted to be, you know, global from day one, have customers all around the world from day one, had this ambition to to be the best in the world. Um, we wanted to invest in, you know, completely unqualified people with no business experience, um, but just had that kind of product DNA. Uh, so, so that we were yelling that from the rooftops. We were, you know, telling people to be more ambitious. I think that that's. Being the success um, and one of the contributors of the success to Blackbird is um, this, uh, like when, when you sort of want to be more ambitious and um, you know give the permission for the founder to to you know be their full self, you know that 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 is reputation building versus um, uh, if you're like, hey, what is your exit strategy or um, hmm. you know the role of the investor is to be the. You know the the one to tell you to be less ambitious. Um, you know, I think Blackbird was always differentiated along that line. But I think you know, um, it, it, you know, as we know, it was the best time to start a venture capital firm in Australia. Um, it was um, you know the the best time to be focusing on uh, global software companies. Um, so that was complete luck. So so I would say um, it was skill in what we were doing. Um, so I, I think you know we would have been successful in any case um with those insights but i think the luck is that it's been you know a thousand times more successful than than i think we imagined in the in in the beginning um and you know to me that that's probably where the luck element um is in it
1: i think luke from safety culture gives a lot of credit to to scott especially um scott parker from Lassian in terms of the help he gave uh, Luke through, through the journey. Uh, how, and, and no doubt you do that across the board. You do it, and Mike does it, or, and, and Rick does it. And how important has has the mentoring you give founders uh, at Blackbird, which in a way is similar to what you guys did at Startmate as well, how, how much does that differentiate you from other v- VCs? Certainly back then, maybe it's a bit more common now, but so sort of 10 years ago, I don't think it was as common for for VCs to be providing so much help to founders as you guys did.
0: Mm. like community has always been at the heart of start has always been at the heart of blackbird and i think um you know through my own entrepreneurial journey just to know that all of the people that i learned the most from were people who were building had built companies but you know even updated that view throughout time to say that um people who are building companies sort of side by side at a similar stage or one step ahead that that freshness or that, that there's quite a Perishability of knowledge um, in in building a startup, and so that that is that is the the, the golden version of knowledge. And we've always been very you know we put community at the heart of Blackbird. I think the other thing is um, you know given Rick and I were not successful before Blackbird, um, in contrast to probably every other VC firm that um, had started, uh, we, we'd never uh, considered ourselves to be the experts. We were. We were the people that could be the switch uh, to a network of, of people like Scott who, you know, we, we, we never had the pretense that the entrepreneurs were coming up the mountain. We were the experts. We would tell them the answer, then they would go uh, down back to their, to their business. It was always um, we never assumed that we were the best person and we would always assume that, that there's a person in the community or the network that um, has a better answer. And so, you know, in, in sort of building and as we became um, uh, connected with all the founders and 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 things that occupied their mind, um, you know, we'd always build out the community around those different areas and different problems and um, always designed everything such that it was to create that great founder experience where they could tap into that network of people as they were building their company. And, um, you know, that that's really been the the heart of everything that we've done um, at Startmate and at Blackbird. And then the, the side benefit is that is so much more scalable uh, than, you know, the expert kind of model of, um, you know, someone has been successful and they become a venture capitalist and they have all the answers and um, which is fine in the beginning when the knowledge is fresh. But as the the, the the time goes on, you certainly have the horizontal kind of lessons of company building and culture. And there's, there's definitely like a large portion of business that is, timeless um however there is also a large portion um that is uh, perishable and um again that community of founders is the uh of building companies at a similar stage is is the best um source of of, of knowledge and um uh, and i think empathy as well um there there's no greater empathy of of the founder's journey than another founder so yeah. you know we've always got that at the heart of, of what we do at
1: blackbird I think it's easy for people to sort of get confused in a way because you guys invest in so many amazing businesses that become ginormous that it's easy to forget how big a business Blackbird has become and that I think your most recent fund was 600 million. So you've raised over a billion dollars, I think now, under and would have well over that under management if you factor in the sort of increase in valuations. How have you evolved as a CEO, as a, as a leader of this business it's now a substantial business that's grown over, over a decade to to be super super valuable and, and and incredibly influential
0: yeah we now manage over 10 billion dollars at blackbird okay. which <laughs> um is not insignificant um uh yeah. <laughs> with with the companies that we've been able to 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 partner with at the beginning and then i think also the the team that we've been able to build there's now about 50 people um across blackbird and startmate and um probably up until two years ago, uh, Rick and I were both of this view that we wanted to be the the Craigslist of venture capital, you know, um, yeah. with as few employees as possible. You know, we were both sort of considering ourselves uh, to be not, not great managers. And, um, you know, we hadn't built, you know, huge companies beforehand. And so it was sort of like, hey, let's um, keep it as small as possible. Uh, and then let's Build the community um, to, to be as, as big as possible. Blackbird itself would be um, as small as possible. And I think again, the, the the joy of the job is seeing someone go from nothing to something. And um, firstly, that was in the portfolio, you know, in the uh, the investing side. We, uh, as you mentioned, the first one we invested in the first round um, and every round of Canva, Culture App, Safety Culture, uh, Zooks, a whole host of other companies, um, and seeing. Those founding teams go into you know as you sort of catch up with them and, and and meet up with them and there's like 50 people in the office, 100 people in the office. Uh, Canva's now 2,000 people in the team, and and it's just every time you walk in, it's just like this sense of mm. pride of of, of seeing uh, those people build something truly special. So I think that that pride that you get in the portfolio is 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 it's almost like a the the joy of parenting. You know a thousand times less that that joy of seeing someone <laughs> develop or that company develop um and then um I would say when you hire someone and see them succeed that is like you know another great sense of pride and and so I would say the two years ago um there was maybe the the first example you know um Nick, who, uh, Crocker, who'd invested in in his own company, uh, and then he'd helped out on Startmate and then joined um, to run Startmate and then joined Blackbird. Um, uh, Samantha Wong, who we'd invested in uh, through Startmate, uh, and then she joined as the first employee of Blackbird and then um, her journey to become an investor. I think, you know, the, those... Those examples of of seeing people succeed in their in their careers through Blackbird was, um, you know, true, truly to another level of of special and and to another level of pride. And so um, I think we there was that motivating force. There was again just the opportunity. Like again, sort of, you know, there was some success, um, but people were almost like, hey, that's that's the success, that's the level. Whereas I think you know that success was very clear that there was a whole. Magnitude more of success uh, that was available to 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 be captured um, in 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 the coming decade and and um you know to build a firm that you know had the best chance of of being the center of of uh, where all the roads sort of um, led to that that was the opportunity and um uh, I think also we've always thought of Blackbird as a startup and 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 perhaps that turning point um, two years ago was to build the team. With a product mindset, so you've seen, you know, Startmate with the fellowship help hire hundreds of people, and and next year thousands of people uh, get a job at a startup in Australia and New Zealand. Which you know, when you get to thousands of people, um, and then hopefully eventually tens of thousands of people per year, yeah. that's when you're making you know ecosystem level impact, and um, you know you have a chance of shaping uh, a culture, shaping um, uh, the success of uh, a huge uh, community of, of, of people and um, I think building a team at Blackbird to, to reflect that and, you know, we will be no doubt hundreds of people at Blackbird in, in the coming years because it is such a, you know, the, the ecosystems of Australia and New Zealand have succeeded to such a degree that it's deserving of um, a firm and, and and a set of programs and a set of products and um, a set of capital that, uh, is set up to help all of those people with ambition uh, in Australia and New Zealand succeed in, 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 in the best possible way. So, uh, I think you know, two years ago we were thinking Craigslist of venture capital. Now I think you know, we are thinking, um, uh, let's let's build something truly defining, and, and, and that will involve hundreds of people, or maybe even thousands of people, working um, at Blackbird and stuff.
1: We don't like talking about wealth, and I guess you've sort of grown up alongside Mark and Scott, who have created. Second, third, or fourth richest guys in, in the country, but v- VC founders are, can be incredibly wealthy as well. The f- founders of Sequoia and Kleiner Perkins in the, in the states and Benchmark are literally billionaires, and, and it's probable you and Rick become billionaires at some point. Uh, given given the scale of Blackbird and the, the incredible success you've had, how have you got? How, how have your lives changed in the last sort of ten years as you've had that incredible success with Blackbird? How has that changed? Have you guys changed at all? Or?
0: Well, you never know, um, you know, uh, your own internal uh, perspective, you, you never know if you have changed or not. I hope, I hope we haven't, um, too much. And I think, you know, the, again, the joy is, is in not in the trappings of success. The joy is in the, the exploration or the pursuit of something in the beginning. And, um, so I, I you know, it, it's not that interesting, uh, to me, uh, wealth at, at a, you know, high level, um. I think also it's lucky that uh, you know I know Mike so well because you know on some degree I'll always not be wealthy because um, you know I would I would measure wealth you know as I said I'm a very competitive person I would measure wealth um, as a percentage of someone like Mike's wealth so I'll never uh, probably be 100 percent but that's the joy of it that is um, that is why the game um, uh, is is sort of always still to be. Um, still to be played and, um, uh, the joys and, you know, the journey, the joy is not, you know, at at the end. And, um, I think the the element of wealth is the responsibility to, you know, do something with it and, and, and to, uh, show how, uh, hopefully that can, that can spur a whole host of opportunities for people in, in the future, uh, if invested well, or if given away well. Um, so I think, Wealth is exciting in that um, it can unlock all of those um, opportunities for for people of of the future, and it's all of those chances that can be taken um, on people in the future that that's exciting um, to me. But I don't think um, wealth at a uh, just in isolation is is particularly interesting.
1: And that was Nikki skebeck from Blackbird and Startmate, and you've been listening to From Zero with me, Adam Schwab producer is Lindsay Green. Our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, search From Zero Podcast with me, Adam Schwab. Listener.